You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Today's reading comes from a paraphrase of Genesis 1. At the start, the Creator made all there is. In silence, the Spirit cloaked itself across the dark, chaotic waters that encompass the earth. Then Elohim spoke, and those words brought order to the world. First the light, then the sky. The seas obeyed when called to make way for the dry land. Flora and fauna and every green thing spread itself across the land. Then Elohim made the sky a home. The moon and sun and twinkling stars spread themselves out so the whole world could see what the Creator was like. Birds took flight. The seas teemed with life. Creeping things came out of the ground, and a man was formed to lead them. And everything was very good. Six days for creating, one made for resting. Elohim called it Sabbath and set it apart. Praise be to God. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into this story. Creator God, the heavens, the heavens declare who you are. the earth cries out and gives you praise. And all of us who walk upon the land, we exist to reflect your love back to you. But we need your love to love you. And so, Holy Spirit, today, would you meet us here and call us into intimacy, call us into love, Show us more what you are like so that we can reflect the same. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Creation and the fall. So it all begins with the creator, the chaos, and the silence between. The scribes wrote it this way, in the beginning, Elohim created the skies and the land, and the land was unordered and uninhabited. Now, the word Elohim, it, it is both a title and a type. It is the name of categories of all heavenly beings, from angels to demigods to the one God. But like the word father, there are many ways and many types of fathers. But they all hold the same kind of role. And yet when I speak of my father, I am speaking of a particular one. So Elohim stands in part for all heavenly beings, but it refers to the first and greatest, the heavenliest of heavenly beings. For now, we call him Elohim. 
and Elohim, this creator God, exist as a, as a plurality. There is a community. Elohim itself is a plural noun, meaning that this word refers to community, that this God is diverse in its very being. And then there's the chaos, the tohu vavohu, unordered and uninhabited. This is the state of the world when it all began. There's chaotic waters everywhere. Life cannot exist, only trouble, only darkness. So in the beginning, there's the creator and there's the chaos, and then there's silence. And the silence, it's like, it's like the sound of becoming, of impending, of something tightening until it's about to snap. And the spirit of Elohim, the spirit of God is hovering and brooding over the chaos and all the things that it represents. The silence, the silence is kind of like the inhale before lips part. Elohim speaks, and then everything begins. Order emerges. The disordered, the unordered, the uninhabited, all that, well, it starts to become new. So there was the first day. The first day, Elohim speaks and creates light. And this makes sense because light, light encompasses and reveals what Elohim is like. Light makes everything visible. And what's left is everything hoping to be revealed. And so there's light and they're dark. And all life passes through these two. Being made known, being seen, and hoping to be seen. And this, this becomes the context of our days. All of our days are light and dark, the creator and the chaos. But the chaos of dark where it once just spread over everything, now it's beginning to be put in its place. The darkness gets held back and light takes its place. And evening and morning, there was the first day. And then there was the second day. And with this, those, those chaotic waters that covered everything, that, that was the only thing that existed to be known, where everything just felt like trouble, Elohim takes it and splits the waters. So now the waters exist up top and the waters exist below, but in the middle, the hand of God has created a bubble that life can live. 
and this is how the sky is born. The sky, the sky, well, that's, that's God's blessing holding back, holding back the chaotic waters. As Elohim's hand, it just kind of cradles creation. In the evening and the morning, well, that was the second day. And then there's the third day. See, where the waters above, they're held back by the sky, there still exists the chaos below. Though there is the capacity for life, nothing can live. Until, again, Elohim speaks in the chaotic waters below, which he calls the seas. The seas, the seas are split and pulled back so that land can be exposed and life can pass through them. Now we have dry land, and on this dry land, we now have the capacity and the capability for life. Yet Elohim doesn't just set the conditions of life, but also calls it forth. And so now we see the green grass and the flowers and the trees. It all starts to take over and blanket the world. Flowers bloom, trees unfurl, vegetations cover the dry earth. See, chaos, it's not just contended with, but now it's given a purpose. These waters, they help feed the green grass. What was once unordered has now become ordered. And this empty house, well, now it has to become a home. So Elohim sets out to fill all that he has created. So here comes the fourth day. The fourth day, Elohim speaks and the sun and the moon and all the heavenly bodies, they are planted throughout the sky. They become evidence of God in all situations. And they're given a task. The sun, well, the sun, it drives the weather. It moves the currents. It causes the seas and the climates that makes life go through change. It makes the plant life. It gives it their, it helps them create their food through photosynthesis. And without the sun's heat and light, life on earth would not exist. The psalmist says it this way. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies reveal the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. But they have no speech. They use no words. No sound from them is heard. Yet their voice goes out to all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, Elohim has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run its course. It rises on one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. And nothing, nothing is deprived of its warmth. Psalm 19 tells us what is happening when the empty sky becomes home to all the heavenly bodies. The moon creates time in partnership with the sun 
It creates tides that, that hold the world in order, keeps its wobble from becoming too much for life. And the other thing that these, these bodies do, these celestial stars, in the day, they allow things to thrive. The presence of Elohim is felt. But in the night, in the darkest of nights, there's still enough light to see your way through. Evening and morning, that was the fourth day. And then there's the fifth day. The sky has been vacant, desiring to play a part in creation. And so Elohim speaks and the air is filled with birds and flying things. The seas, well, they don't want to just be chaos. They too want a part in the story. And so marine life is created and they fill the oceans. The birds, they help the ground to turn into fertilizer. They pollinate and take the seeds of the plant and move them around, playing their part to make sure that the green grass can move as far as a bird can fly. <clears throat> the marine life, well, half of the Earth's oxygen, the air that all things need, it comes from the ocean. The tiny microscopic creatures make it so that life can live on this land that's been exposed. And the natural movement of the marine animals as they move in and through and around the waters, it stirs them up and brings up the, nutri the nutrients of the deep sea so that they can come to the surface. And they help the phytoplankton, the small, littlest ones grow to support all the webs of food that all life needs to live and thrive. Everyone has a part to play. And evening and morning, that was the fifth day. So the heavens have been filled, the skies have been filled, the seas, even as they were chaos, are now home to life. But what of the land? It has no inhabitants. Until from the ground, Elohim calls forth all the animals. All the creatures make their way out of the earth. And they too help spread and pollinate the world and keep the plants within their bounds. They take the oxygen that's in the air and they turn it into the carbon-rich food that the plants need to grow. But Elohim's not done. The first people in this nation, the Native Americans, they have a saying that humanity is the younger brother of all creation, created last. Everything else had existed before and had already made sense of this world. But man, man was the littlest one, the second son. 
And to the second son, the Elohim makes out of the dirt and its breath. Well, man is given the birthright. The second son inherits the father's possessions and authority. Adam, first people. Another way to say humankind. They are entrusted with authority over all creation. To maintain the order and the fullness of life that Elohim has established. And with this final generative act, Elohim rests and begins to delight in all the details and all the magnitude and all the grandeur of creation. Now, it's been said that if this vast land, if all the stars and all the galaxies and all the suns that exist, well, if they were all made just to house humanity, what well, is far too big. But if they were made to, di to display the grandeur of the creator, they are not nearly big enough. Yet, the creator, Elohim, calls it good. But not just good, very good. But not perfect. See, the thing about perfect is that it means that there's no room for growth. That it is complete. That it has reached the fullness of, it is, of its potential. But good, very good, well, it implies that more is to come and that everything is working as it should. Well, working as it should for as long as the chaos stays put. To be continued. Next week, we will continue this narrative. We'll see what happens with the chaos. Before we move on with our liturgy, I do just want to take a moment to look at our, our questions here. One that comes and says, let there be light and God saw that it was good, not because it was good, or is knowing already self-evident? What does this say about Elohim? Hmm. So what is the nature of things being good? Is it inherently good or observably good? What this brings to mind for me is the concept of shalom. See, shalom 
shalom can refer to two things. One, it can refer to a, a brick without blemish, but it also can, can refer to a, a wall without blemish. And the, and the, the, whole, the whole view of shalom is that things are interconnected in a way that works. And so when I think about the goodness that Elohim is kind of like calling all things to and naming it as, and what is observing is that everything is working in relationship. And so good refers to how things move and how they operate, but there is capacity for things to not be good. And this, this becomes agency. Because if things are, have, no, have no ability to not be good, well, then the story just persists and we don't end up here. But they have to have a choice to be in relationship or to not be in relationship. And at this point, they all choose to be in relationship. And so when Elohim says that this is good, what it's seeing is that, oh, this is all working as it should. The birds are doing their part. The fish are doing their part. The creatures are doing their part. The skies are holding and the land is forming what it should and man is caring for things as it should. Until it won't. Any other questions? Cool. We, uh, as we move through this story, the invitation that will be for today and for every day is to, to see what rises in you. What does this story tell you about the creator? What does it tell you about you? What does it say about the state of things? And a good thing to ask is like, where, where do I find points of resonance? Where do I find points of dissonance? And what do I make of that? Like, what do I do with that? And so when we respond, like in a few moments here, when our prayer team's gonna come up, I, I, would, I would encourage you to kind of just sit and allow people to just help join you in prayer as you kind of just navigate in finding yourself. Um, for, me, for me in this story, at the very beginning, and it's brief, it's, it's when you think about the stories that it exists around, the other creation myths, the Enuma Eilish that we talked about, there's seven tablets filled with that story. This one is condensed into lines of seven, like it's, it's a very short poem. And what I find really interesting for me in, in listening kind of this short work and where I kind of locate even my own self is this idea of like chaos and how like, again, like chaos is like, chaos is being put in its place and what it means for like this world to start, kind of going back to the question, if things are inherently good, well, the world itself wasn't necessarily inherently good as we're talking about. The world itself was inherently chaotic. 
that's how the creator finds it. Like it's, 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 it's chaotic waters. And then the creator takes it and makes it something beautiful. And that to me, that to me speaks volumes because now I'm no longer trying to maintain perfection. It means that like, I'm not supposed to be this inherently good thing and I keep messing up. What it means is that I have, that I am, that I am a neutral thing that has the ability to live in goodness. That if I will come into the relationship as I should with all things, then everything will be good. But if I choose to live outside of that, if I choose to live disordered, well, then it all falls apart. And that just to me creates a very different orientation to life. Like now I'm not trying to play like cosmic whack-a-mole. Even with my own life. And I can choose each day to enter into the invitation to go, to go into order, to go, to go into relationship. And I don't have to be surprised when chaos, when I find chaos within myself. It's not a surprise. And that's somewhat of a relief because the only thing I know that's true about myself is I have the capacity for violence, that I have the capacity and capacity for brokenness, that I hurt and that I maim and that I disregard and I disrespect. Try as I might, it happens. And so if I'm trying to live my life to avoid all that, that becomes so exhausting. But if that's just true of me and it's no longer a surprise, then the question becomes, can I become something different? And what I hear in the story is that the answer is yes. That there is one above everything that can take chaotic things like me and put it in its boundaries and give it a purpose and call it good. That's really great news. Why don't you stand? I know this story was somewhat short, but we're just getting started. It will get longer, trust me. There are miles to go before we sleep. But I do again want to call us into just a moment of reflection when you consider that story. Chaotic world, the unordered and uninhabited world made ordered and inhabited. What does this tell you of the creator and what does this say of you, the created?